Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest. But first, I wanted to give a quick update. At the time of recording this episode, we are rolling into the holiday season. And we've had runners having finished races in Berlin, London, Twin Cities, Chicago, New York City, and other events across the country. We have also have had gyms and group fitness teams hosting our push-pull events and all sorts of other fundraisers. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who is helping to spread awareness, raise funds, and help us fight for a world without pancreatic cancer. If you'd like to see how you can get involved, visit projectpurple.org and follow Project Purple on all social media channels as we recruit for our 2023 marathon teams and also our push-pull events, as well as our upcoming third annual Charity Golf Classic, June 5th in Norwalk, Connecticut. Happy holidays from all of us at Project Purple. And without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from, I'm going to make an assumption here, Eric, sunny and warmer than Connecticut today, five-year pancreatic cancer survivor, Eric Borden. Welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks, Dino. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Well, as I said, at the time that we're recording this, before we hit record here, we got some snow overnight. So I, I'm assuming that Florida is a lot warmer today uh, than Connecticut, just given the uh, the snow. And, and we are in winter. I mean, it is uh, the middle of December almost. So it, it's to be expected here in Connecticut. Yes, there's no snow in Florida. So I'm happy to tell you that uh, the weather is delightful um, outside. It's that time of year where the weather is just tough to beat. And uh, yeah, while people are freezing and hopefully not slipping on the snow and sliding away on the roads, uh, everything is great in South Florida. I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's great to visit. And I think you 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 hit it because I think this is like the best time of year as we were before we hit record. I was saying my in-laws uh, live on the, the West Coast. And I know they live in the Berkshires uh, during the, 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 the summertime, springtime. And then they now have decided like middle of fall, they get down to Florida. They just cannot take the cold. And I don't blame them. They've lived there. They lived in the Berkshires long enough. They deserve to be warm um, instead of dealing with the cold. But it is a great time of year uh, in Florida. So awesome. This is, uh, you know, our, our first part of our podcast, Eric, as you and I were talking before we record, is always special because it always gives our guests an opportunity to kind of share with our audience their background. And I, I know I teased it a little bit here. You're a five-year survivor with pancreatic cancer, uh, but a lot of people may not know your name. Um, and, and this is really your opportunity to kind of share with our audience your journey and as I said uh, before we hit record, you can go as far back and you can stay as high level as you want. And with that, the microphone is yours, Eric. Thanks, Dino. The, uh, my history with pancreatic cancer goes back to uh, the early 2000s when a friend of mine was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Unfortunately, he did not survive, but uh, I was intimately involved. I lived in uh, southern New Jersey at the time. And I uh, was intimately involved in starting a Lust Garden walk, actually participating in the Lust Garden walk with a close friend of mine who was uh, the, uh, unfortunately, the, the uh, person's uh, brother-in-law. And uh, so worked for years at the Philadelphia location for Lust Garden 
um, before moving to South Florida. Um, and always stayed involved and always stayed in touch with Lust Garden and the Philadelphia uh, area uh, walk, you know, fundraising walk for years after that, even after I moved here. Well, lo and behold, in 2017, I myself was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and, um, you know, obviously remained uh, close to Lust Garden and uh, branching out into other organizations like Pancan and Light after that. Um, and uh, uh, went to, um, actually, it was, I was diagnosed by accident. I was really so, so unfortunate. Um, I went to my personal physician who saw my liver enzymes elevated, and he really didn't know why. So he took me off of a statin, which can affect your liver. That didn't do anything. Uh, he gave me a hepatitis C test. That didn't show anything. And threw up his hands pretty much and said, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Why don't you just go for a CAT scan? And um, so I did and received a phone call saying about uh, a little less than a week later, saying that uh, they notice a, uh, a 0.7 centimeter uh, lesion on my pancreas. And uh, they suggest I come back in a year to get it checked out. Well, you can imagine. <laughs> They're telling me that I have a lesion on my pancreas, 0.7 centimeters. My eyes look like, remember the remember in Roger Rabbit when the guy goes, doo, whoop, you know, that was pretty much my eyes. Like, what are you talking about? So um, being a, a little proactive on my end, I immediately called my, my daughter-in-law is an emergency physician in, in uh, Maryland. I called her and suggested I wanted to pass something by her. I said, I'm going to call my GI and, and, uh, and get his take on this. What do you think? She said, absolutely. So I did. And my, uh, my GI uh, immediately got me into uh, the Boca Regional Hospital where they did an EUS and endoscopy with uh, needle biopsy. And um, it was confirmed that, yes, my, my, uh, my tumor was malignant. Um, I went to meet with a surgeon at Boca Regional Hospital who gave me these words. Go where you're comfortable. I'd love to do your surgery, but go where you're comfortable. And uh, I did want to explore a little bit further, and I had all of the the, the recognizable institutions that uh, were known for pancreatic cancer, not only uh, treatment, but also research, MD Anderson, Louis Sloan, Johns Hopkins. And my first stop was at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. I have family in Maryland. It seemed like a logical place to go. Uh, and I met with the surgical team there, Dr. Chris Wolfgang, who's no longer there. He's now at NYU. Um, and, uh, and also Dr. He, and he said this, uh, Dr. Wolfgang said the same thing to me, go where you're comfortable. And I felt so comfortable with his knowledge and he just made me feel so comfortable that I decided to, um, uh, when my, my, my Whipple surgery was confirmed that it was possible, uh, I decided to go with that surgical team and had uh, Whipple surgery on August 14th. By the time I had my Whipple surgery, my uh, my lesion grew from 0.7 centimeters up to 4.3. Uh, so it was aggressive and it was moving pretty quickly. And I had, um, I had my Whipple surgery robotically with, uh, Dr. He and Dr. Wolfgang as the surgeons on August 14th, um, 2017. Uh, after that, my, uh, my oncologist, uh, Dr. Dan Leheru, who I still have today, because I do go up and get checked uh, on an annual basis at this point. Um, Dr. Leheru prescribed uh, uh, gemcetabine, gemzar, and also Zolota, capcetabine as a treatment, which was 
pretty much a standard of treatment at that point in time for my situation, which was uh, luckily in my case, 2A, stage 2A. Um, they did uh, remove the tumor. They, it was at the head of my pancreas. They removed whatever they had to remove in the Whipple procedure. Um, and uh, uh, l- luckily, uh, no lymph nodes were affected and the margins around my tumor were clear. So, so you know, nobody made any promises and they said, uh, you know, y- you never know what the future brings, but they're going to work to try to give me the best possible outcome that they, can- that they could. And lo and behold, my, my chemo regimen uh, was uh, Gemzar, Gemcetabine, and Capcetabine, Zolota, which I, I was three weeks on and one week off. Uh, that was administered at Boca Regional Hospital because my oncologist said, you know, a cocktail is a cocktail. You can get that done in Florida. Uh, my oncologist up at Johns Hopkins remains my primary oncologist today. I also have another at Boca Regional, and I see him uh, on a six-month on-and-off basis, but I only get scanned once a year at this point in time. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm a five-year survivor. Um, I hit the uh, I hit the elusive mark uh, <laughs> where where you know uh, it's all uphill from here. I, I I hope you know as we're working towards that, and uh, uh, so it's all good. But um, uh, and I'm happy to join the ranks of of five year survivors. So awesome. Uh, I, I want to back up, and, and there's a couple things here that I wrote down that I'm going to get to, but so. <laughs> Go back to like when you're diagnosed, and I want to talk to that, talk about that for a second. And we always, and the reason I'm going to bring this up because we signs and symptoms, right? This is where I'm going to go. Right. Uh, prior to any of this, so we're even going to go back even prior. Health wise, healthy, no family history, nothing. 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 No immediate family history. I had an uncle, my mother's brother, but uh, at 86 years old was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, prior to that though, nothing, no, nothing whatsoever. I didn't have any symptoms, that was it. So going to my physician every three months for blood work because of, uh, you know, he always wanted to see, check my liver because I was on the statin. Uh-huh. That's, where, that's where he kind of scratched his head because, you know, a number of prior uh, blood tests leading up to his questioning about my liver enzymes uh, you know, I, I, it was, it was a, it was a series of events where he just noticed the elevated liver enzymes, um, on a standard blood test and had no idea through his hands up. And, you know, we hear of, of some people that are just diagnosed early by accident, you know, it's just by accident. Well, how, you know, how did, how did you know? Did you have any symptoms? Symptoms? No, it was just by accident. I had a CAT scan for something else. And here they discovered, uh, they discovered, uh, uh, you know, a lesion on my pancreas. I just spoke to a woman the other day whose daughter um, had open heart surgery. And, uh, and they were also going to check her gallbladder uh, because she was having some, some additional issues with her gallbladder. And what did they find on a CAT scan for a gallbladder? They found a lesion on her pancreas. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, the discovery by accident is, is out there. And, and, and many people have had that, you know, fortunately and hopefully survived it. But um, uh, it's not for everybody. And that's why, you know, at late stage when pancreatic cancer is generally discovered, um, it's such a rough go for so many people. So crazy because I I think, you know, uh, there's so many, to your point, like people do get diagnosed by accident, right? Like I've heard people get into car accidents, 
you know, they have, you know, they, they do these, these imaging tests because, you know, they're fearful of something, you know, internal bleeding or, you know, some, some sort of muscular uh, issue or, or bones. And then they, whoa, we, we just saw this, but no symptoms, right? Like these are people that don't show any symptoms. So this leads me to my second question here. Your doctor sees something elevated and you said they, they saw a lesion. If you didn't have experience with Lost Garden because your, your buddy there was diagnosed and your friend, I should say, back in the 2000s and you were involved and you're engaged. And so, you know, right? Like, you know, you go to whatever the group, you go to these events and, you know, they talk about the signs and symptoms and awareness and you do, you know, learn a little bit. Not that you become like an expert overnight, but as you get involved with various groups, you're going to learn and you're going to become knowledgeable. Do you ever look back and think like, all right, if I never had that previous involvement, would I have gone a different direction when the doctor mentioned that? You know, it's really interesting. The involvement with Lust Garden was fundraising. There wasn't a lot of education at that point. So I really wasn't that familiar with the signs, symptoms, feelings of pancreatic cancer. The only thing I knew that scared the heck out of me <laughs> was that friend of mine had pancreatic cancer and didn't survive. So my case was really uh, uh, not knowing, the, not about knowing the symptoms, but it was just thinking of my friend and what happened to him and saying to myself, self, <laughs> you're not waiting a year to, to tackle this because you know, pancreatic cancer, and even today, scares the heck out of people. The, the issue is that if you're not your own advocate, which to, to advocate for better patient outcomes, especially for yourself, you must be your own advocate. You can challenge, you can ask questions, you can, uh, you know, take things upon yourself, uh, take action for yourself. You don't have to just acquiesce and, and listen to the first to the first uh, first bit of information. The message that was delivered to me was delivered by an office person. The weirdest part of this is that my physician didn't even see my cat scan. Wow. <laughs> Which he felt the wrath of my wife after that. But we'll go, you know, that's <laughs> another <laughs> um his excuse was, if I take a look at every CAT scan that comes through this office, I'd never be able to see any patients. Wow. You know? So in one way, he saved me by ordering this CAT scan because he shrugged his shoulders. But when the results came in, he didn't even, he didn't even see them. He didn't even know. You need to be your own advocate. If you're not your own advocate, you're cheating yourself and you're cheating your family and you're cheating you know, just the, the, the whole world of your existence. It's so crazy having you tell that story and hearing what you just said. And, and you know, I, I hope the audience listens because to hear like a doctor say that, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm surprised, Eric, right? Because we probably have both heard some doozies throughout the years, yep. you know, of what doctors say. It's almost like, how do I put this? I mean, there's a lot of great doctors, don't get me wrong, but there's oh, a lot yeah. of bad doctors, right? And I'm not saying your doctor's bad, but I think sometimes like people just say things that they shouldn't say, 
right? Uh, without thinking about that, you know, but then also though, this goes to the fact that to your point, like, I, I think in this country, and maybe in the world a bit too, like we put these doctors on such a high pedestal, right? And people have this sense of, you know, okay, so the person did all this training, you know, they've done all this schooling. Well, Christ, whatever they say must be right, right? But it's okay to, to and I, I think a little bit of that is turning because clearly there's been mistakes or people go, you know, the internet's been a great resource, right? Um, you know, things like this, like, you know, hearing a, a five-year survivor saying, hey, like, you need to advocate, you need to ask the questions. And we hear this often on this podcast with survivors, like, be your biggest advocate because no one's going to give you anything. Um, you've got to ask. And so I, I think that's such an important message. But it's also a little scary um, in the sense that, you know, and this is where I've mentioned too, I think sometimes the system is so big that, and it's not necessarily maybe the doctor's fault, but it's the system, right? Like to your point, like what you said, you know, the doctor said, well, I can't read all these scans because then I would never be able to see anyone. Well, maybe that's the problem then, right? Like maybe we need to kind of scale back a bit and it's more of a quality versus quantity. And right now we're in this quantity, you know, versus quality kind of system. So, so, my, so getting back a little bit to the story about, you know, my wife took care of that. Uh, <laughs> she had a conversation with him. I'll call it a conversation. She had a conversation with him after he said that to her, actually, she said, uh, if I see all the, you know, all the CAT scans, I wouldn't have time to see patients. Um, she said, I am a teacher. She said, there's a thing called post-it notes. When scans come in, you know, if it's, if it's a minor situation, you know, that gets a blue post-it note. But if a situation like a lesion on a pancreas or something, you know, something just as severe or really critical, you know, she said, so your person puts a, a, a different color post-it note indicating that it's urgent and you just see those. Um, you know, she said, it, it doesn't seem difficult. It doesn't seem really hard to have a system in your office to flag the really important ones that you see and then alert the patients of the severity of the, of the result of the, of the CAT scan and then, and then go from there. Um, another thing I think, this is a, my, my personal thought, is that the pancreatic cancer organizations and community need to go down to those grassroots physicians because there are so many symptoms that kind of complement or, or are the same with, with pancreatic cancer that immediately, for example, if you have stomach pain, what do they do? Tell you to take a, 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 a an antacid yeah. uh, or, or you have back pain. Oh, you know, you probably pulled a muscle in your back. You know, that, that type of, that type of thing, um, you know, where, where they, they don't automatically look or put pancreatic cancer in the mix of possible diagnoses. So, uh, you know, educating the, the, uh, the internal medicine community or, or the, uh, you know, the emergency room community and things of that nature, unless you're affected by it in some way or another, you know, there's just no thought process. So that, that, could, be, that could be another effort you know, on behalf of the pancreatic cancer community. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And I, I think it's a great idea. I think, though, the one place is just to try to have people add, like, we really got to stress, right? Like, this advocacy. So, uh, on that note, he knows that now, by the way. He's, he's, well, he's yeah. A, yeah, he, he got how the, many, 
How many people before him, though, Eric? Which is a scary thing, right? Like before you guys came to the to the to that, you know, before I came to a head with your wife, right? Which it shouldn't have had, you know. How many people beforehand, right? Like, why does it have to have to be that way? And we talk about this often about advocacy and, and you know, and, and I know it's personality. Sometimes people don't have that personality. But as you know, when you're fighting for your life, like you need to become that personality because, again, they're not going to give you anything that you that they don't have to. Um, and sometimes you, it's OK to ask these questions. But and this is a little bit of a loaded question for you here. I know you've done a lot of advocacy through the years, Lust Garden. You, you, you do a lot with PanCan and Lust Garden down in Florida, both great groups doing a lot of great things. And and this is a little bit of a loaded question. And I don't know if there's one answer or if it's a multiple, you know, multiple answers to the question is how do you become a better advocate for yourself? What do you think people could do? To be a better advocate, because sometimes I think, you know, and this again, the, the power of this podcast, like sharing like ways that people can do this or questions that people can ask. It's kind of, it's almost like a simple answer. I mean, just don't take information verbatim and just say and acquiesce and just say, well, okay. You know, especially in something as serious as this or any type of serious illness or situation that you're in to, you know, just take it face value. I mean, people, you know, look, the medical community, they're human beings, too. And, you know, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to, uh, you know, they're going to, you know, maybe not not take things so seriously or what have you. But when you hear something as serious as as uh, pancreatic cancer, any type of cancer, any type of you know serious disease that raises your eyebrows and uh, and and questions uh, right away, like what's going to be and what's going to be my outcome, you have to ask questions. You have to advocate for yourself. And ha- advocating for yourself helps advocate for others. So, you know, it's not just you alone. Yes, you know, you may begin with yourself, but you're also advocating for others too. And just like, uh, just like I advocated for myself and and then went back to the source, which is my physician, and advocated for others besides myself to educate him about, you know, what the mistake was and, 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 and how, you know, it was ignored at first. I'm sure, just like you said beforehand, all the people that haven't, that haven't, I'm sure that haven't been helped. I'm sure there are people that have been helped now uh, since that. So, um so you just need to you just need to question. You just can't take information at face value any longer. You need to question so that you're getting the right information and educate yourself about in any way possible. Educate yourself. I can't tell you. I also volunteer at the Lynn Cancer Institute in Florida. And I see patients, not you know, overall cancer patients, you know, who get infused. And of course they if somebody comes in with pancreatic cancer, they they, they filter them to me. <laughs> they say, Eric, can you help this person? Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times where people have come in and I have, and, and I've spoken to them and they really have no idea about what their treatment's about, what their potential outcome is. All, I, all that I know is that they're scared. And when I suggest to them that they do some homework and research and 
ask questions and latch on to people like me, uh, you know, who can help them and advocate for them. Uh, you know, it, oftentimes it's, it, it just shocks me about how people don't, don't educate for themselves. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's probably a long-winded, maybe a circular answer, but, uh, but it's, it's all about information and all about taking care of yourselves because if you take care of yourself, you're going to help yourself and hopefully in the future help others too. Uh, it's a powerful statement, Eric, because I, I think, you know, what I've experienced, I mean, no one goes in, like, if you if you don't need to know about pancreatic cancer, the odds are you're not looking at data at night or you're looking at chat rooms or, you know, listening to podcasts. Now, I think you should. I'm biased, of course, right? Um but for the most part, people like when they're first diagnosed, you know, that's probably the first time they've kind of even ventured into the space. I think you were blessed, right? Like you said, you were involved, but to your point, like you knew like it was bad. So you knew that, you know, you knew the severity of it. So you took it very seriously. Right. So I, I, I think that's part of the challenge. I think a bit, you know, and I always say to people like, Hey, do something while you can, whether it's support, learn about it. Because for a lot of people, as we know, statistically, they just don't have a lot of options, right? When it comes to treatment or to a positive outcome. But I think the other thing which goes with that is, as I said, like a lot of people don't have a positive outcome. And I don't know if that's like almost like the, um, the paralysis that happens, I guess, because like you go to the internet, we know what the reality is, right? And the internet can be a very black hole. Um, but I, I, on that note, though, I, I think there's something important, though, in, in your journey here. And I wrote this down, uh, and you said both doctors said, go where you are comfortable. But also, you mentioned, you know, you looked at the top centers. And this is something that I've been really, really vocal about. And I know of Dr. Wolfgang. He's now at NYU. But I was funny. I was just having this conversation. I was in New York last week with uh, uh, another doctor, not at NYU um, and not at Hopkins, but a very well-renowned doctor. And this conversation came up and this is where I'm going to is like these high volume centers, you know, this disease is so specialized, you know, and, and we were talking and Wolfgang came up and it's like, he probably does three to four whipples a week on some weeks, right? Um, and I use the example, like my dad, I know we talked uh, previous uh, before we hit record about my story. And, you know, I remember going to my dad's surgeon and I said, you know, we go through, he's going to, he's Whipple eligible. Great. We can have the surgery. It's one in five. Awesome. And I said to the surgeon, I said, and the surgeon goes, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, how many of these do you do, you know, in a year? He goes about 12. And this was my naiveness. I go, Oh, okay. That sounds like a pretty decent sized number, right? Then come to find out. And he's like, oh, I, 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 I'm having another guy. I just happen to have another guy who's in the same boat with your dad. No, he was a GI surgeon. He wasn't like a generalist, but he, you know, he just didn't do a lot of Whipples. And, you know, then come to find out, you know, as I dive into Project Purple and you dive in and you meet doctors, they're like, yeah, they do like, they, some of them do 12, you know, in two weeks. Uh, you know, depending on their schedule, right? Like, you know, so to do one a month, that's not, that's not a lot. And I, and I think, you know, what getting to the point here, 
you know, you, you had the expertise to go to a high volume center um, that does this. And I always recommend like go to a place that deals with pancreatic cancer. Like you want to see a specialist. But then also I, I think it's so powerful is go where you're comfortable. Where you're comfortable. And another thing I forgot to mention, Wolfgang said was stay off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> He said, he says, stay off the internet. Do yourself a favor. He says, you're going to read a lot of garbage on the internet. And you can be you know, a lot of scare tactics and all that kind of stuff. Stay off the internet. You have any questions, come to me. That's what he told me, you know, which I probably didn't listen enough, but I, you know, but, uh, but I took that to heart as well. And everybody else should too. So w- w- let's just stick here for a second. When you say go, when you hear that term, go where you are comfortable, how do you define that? It's an inner feeling. It's tough to, uh, first of all, you, you try to educate yourself a little bit prior to going in. You don't just walk into the office and say, you know, I have pancreatic cancer. You know that. What, what do we have? You know, I mean, it was a discussion. It was, uh, it was a, uh, uh, it was a question and answer series. It was him giving me information that the prior surgeon, uh, did not give me. Uh, you know, he just told me about the procedure. And also, as you mentioned, uh, you know, you know, he he told me that he did in his career maybe you know maybe a couple of hundred Whipples, you know, and uh, so uh, so even though he was the one that first told me to go where I'm comfortable, you know, once I got to Hopkins, I mean, all those factors together, um, you know, made me made me feel comfortable. Plus the fact that uh, there is a radiologist, Elliot Fishman, who I'm sure you're aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, was one of the you know premier radiologists uh, with uh, uh, developing AI um, artificial intelligence uh, procedures with with radiology, and uh, Dr. Wolfgang actually uh, forwarded him my scan my, my scan information, and while Elliot Fishman was on an airplane like thirty thousand feet in the air, he read my scan and came back to uh, Dr. Wolfgang and confirmed that I was probably a good candidate for the Whipple's procedure. And I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> that alone just impressed the heck out of me. And, um, you know, besides all of the other things that, that Dr. Wolfgang was saying. So that made me feel very confident and comfortable. Um, and plus, my wife was in the room. My daughter-in-law, who's the physician in the uh, ER physician in Maryland, was in the room. And my son was in the room. And, you know, we just all listened to the same information and concurred that this probably would be the best place for me. So all of those factors together made me feel comfortable. Powerful. Uh, you know, I, I think it's so, so, so important that people are comfortable, to your point, because the kind of takes away the stress. Uh, I mean, there's stress, don't get me wrong. You're fighting for your life, but the other type of stress that doesn't need to be there. And it's so important. Um, you're, you're bought in, you know, you're hundred percent in. So, uh, I, I think that is, uh, so powerful to hear that. So thank you for sharing that, Eric. I got a couple of questions left here for you. Um, and given, you know, you've been, you've been involved since the, the 2000s with, you know, Lust Garden and, and doing events, uh, you know, now naturally you're, you know, very heavily involved with Pancan and Lust Garden down in Florida, doing everything. So you kind of have this unique position, right? You, you're a survivor, but then you're also kind of like the super advocate and you see across the space, um, 
for the last couple of years. What do you think as a whole? And I, I don't watch it. You don't have to name certain groups, but what do you think? You know, we talked a little bit about this before we hit record too. Is like, what do you think we as advocates should be doing? Um, I would love to see a more unified effort um, on a national scale um, from almost every organization that's out there pooling their resources and pooling their their uh, marketing and advertising dollars to spread word to spread the word across the country, across North America, um, to promote awareness for, for pancreatic cancer, you know, not only for the medical community, but to the, the general populace. Um, I don't think that enough is being done to, uh, to make everybody aware of pancreatic cancer, the signs, the symptoms, uh, you know, the cautions, uh, the treatment options that are available, um, and, and the like, just to make people, like I said, totally aware. So I think there could be a, uh, a more unified effort with, with, you know, many of the, not the majors and, and the smaller organizations to pull their resources to, to, to get the word out. And there are a lot of ways to do it, whether it's, whether it's, uh, through technology, whether it's just on, you know, broadcast TV, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I, I think there's some that goes on, um, but clearly not enough, right? Um, and I take not guilt But not in a unified way. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, not just with one or two, or, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen some individual organizations, you know, throw like a, uh, you know, a, a, a public service announcement up and, and uh, you know, things of that nature on occasion, uh, you know, when they have the budgets to do so. But I think if they pool their resources, they could really make make a big, big splash. Yeah, there's definitely strength in numbers. I mean, I think some of that happens in the World Pancreatic Cancer Day. Um, you know, but I'm giggling here because I always say to our staff, like every day is World Pancreatic Cancer Day, in I, my opinion, I, right? I, like I, it, I, every month is November, you know? Like I hate October and I love October. My mom's still alive because of the efforts that breast cancer has made. And But, you know, for years I've always kind of like, you know, it gets under my skin that pink was everywhere and it, and it has changed a bit. And I think, you know, pink has been downsized a little bit because now there's so many causes, right? There's so many, there's so many things happening every given day of the year. But back to my point, I, I do feel like every day is World Pancreatic Cancer Day. And I wish, yeah, to, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, I, I think like part of the, the challenge is, um, you know, the space, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we hit record, you know, you've got Pancan and Lust Garden up top, and then you've got a lot of groups below. Um, and I'm not pointing blame to them, but I, I think, I think there's like 52 or 58 groups in the United States. That's a lot. But a lot of them, I think over a third are hundred percent volunteer and raise under like a hundred thousand dollars It's maybe 50%. It's a big number, you know? So I, I, I agree. There's strength in numbers to what you said and more unified, but you know, I'd love to see, and, and this is part of the pandemic and I've always embraced, uh, you know, there, there's no, 
trademark on anyone's ideas of raising awareness. It's just a matter whether it's breast cancer, you know, like what breast cancer did, like I think we could recycle, right? And pancreatic cancer. Uh, but I'd love to see a way to like raise up the bottom because if you raise the bottom, then that just brings the ceiling up, right? And so if there's a way that we could do that um, in the space, you know, to raise those groups from, you know, volunteer groups to, you know, getting people dedicated, you know, working seven days or not seven days a week, because that's unrealistic, uh, but, you know, five days a week, you know, and supporting whatever efforts they're doing locally, uh, you know, in their own communities. I think that would be a huge, huge improvement. Um, so I, I think you're spot on. Um just like how do we how do we do that is I think the bigger question, you know, with with getting all the groups, you know, unified and 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 you know, working, like I said, I think every day is World Pancreatic Cancer Day in my opinion. And the uh, you know, the world uh, was uh, the pancreatic cancer coalition, you know, they may be the right people to take the lead on that, uh, you know, because of all of the different groups' involvement. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And and like you said, the strength of numbers and you know, we're a large organization. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I have, but I have no, I am a little cog in that either. <laughs> well, we're all, but we're all cogs in that wheel, right? We're all little cogs in that wheel. And, you know, the more that it's strength in numbers, you know, the more people we have engaged, the more we're going to be able to uh, get the word out, the more we're going to be able to do, the more research we'll be able to fund. Um, and that's where we really make change. My next question for you here um, is, you know, given your experience and, and your own personal experience and what you went through, someone listening to the podcast, hearing your story for the first time, what advice, and, and maybe they, they are getting diagnosed today or tomorrow, what advice would you give that person? What are a couple of things that you would say, like, these are like must-haves or must-things that you you should do, not that we, we require anyone to do anything, but if you had to give that person advice, what would that be? A couple of things. Educate yourself. Be your own advocate. And almost most importantly, my, I, I use a phrase all the time to people that, you know, if you're in business or related to business or have experience in business or even, you know, directly or indirectly, you know that in business, hope is not a strategy. When you're a pancreatic cancer survivor and the day you're diagnosed, you're a survivor. When you're a pancreatic cancer survivor, hope is everything, everything. So don't lose that feeling of hope. Keep yourself educated. Advocate for yourself. And have hope and keep that, like, you know, the famous phrase, keep hope alive. You know, have that hope and don't lose hope throughout your whole process because your, your mental health and your positive outlook and your positive attitude is so important to your, to your care and for your, to, and towards your survival. And, and I'm here to tell you as well that, uh, I know plenty of stage four survivors, plenty of. There's one young lady down in South Florida that's been it's a survivor for 11, 12 years. And so, you know, all hope is not lost. Don't throw in the towel as soon as you hear that diagnosis. You keep that hope. You keep that strength within you. You advocate for yourself. Educate yourself. And, you know, and keep hope for that positive outcome. 
so awesome and so powerful. I, I got a second question that just popped in here. You talk a lot about hope. When you were going through, were there some strategies that you used or exercises that you did to just keep that hope alive? Yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? So you go a little bit up, have your moments and things of that nature. But, um, you know, from the day I was diagnosed, from the day that, I, that my diagnosis was confirmed, even prior to that, my thought process was this. Okay, I went for that biopsy. I have pancreatic cancer. I have it. And my wife was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I said, yes, I do. She says, why are you thinking that? I said, because if the diagnosis is positive, I'm prepared. I'm prepared for it. Okay, I got a diagnosis, a positive diagnosis. What do we do about it? Let's get it on. We have a fight to fight. Let's get it on and plan that strategy. But if I don't do that, and if I think I don't have it, and I'm and I'm diagnosed with it, then I'm going to be, <laughs> I'll be in shock, so to speak. Um, so, you know, I, I kept that positive attitude through my whole treatment process that, you know, we're going to kick this. We're going to kick this. You keep that positive attitude and keep that feeling of hope alive. And, uh, you know, talking to people, keeping that personality going, uh, you know, building relationships with the people that are treating you, that are involved in your, in your diagnosis and, and the road to your cure. Uh, you know, keeping those relationships solid um, and living each day like, you know, you live each day prior to that. You know, just enjoy each day that you're here and, you know, have, and, and have, that, have that feeling of hope. It's really important. It's powerful stuff. Eric, I got one last question for you. And I preface this as saying it's loaded. <laughs> There's no right or wrong to this. This is no, your... No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, uh, all my questions are loaded. Uh, this is straight from you. Um, what's your definition? How do you define, given your experience, what you've gone through, the term pancreatic cancer? How did I, how did I get through it? Is that your question? No. How do you define it? Well, how do I define it? How do I define getting through pancreatic cancer? Or just a term. How do you define, someone says, hey, Eric, what's pancreatic cancer? What's your definition of that? Ah, okay. Right, now I understand. Um, I don't know that I've ever been asked that question, what's pancreatic cancer? I think a lot of people know of it once you say it. Uh, pancreatic cancer is a disease. It's a cancer. You hear the word cancer, no matter what, and all of a sudden you're, you're feeling down in the dumps. Um you know, it's a, uh, your, your pancreas controls your insulin, controls your sugar. Any organ in your body is apt to, is, is subject to, to becoming cancerous or developing a cancer tumor. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a disease of the pancreas that, um, you know, can come from many, many different sources. Uh, nobody, nobody knows exactly, exactly why. There are some theories about, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're kind of destined to develop pancreatic cancer, but it's a it's a it's a disease that they're working on to become a curable disease. Um, so you know, make sure. And I repeat exactly what I've been saying through this whole podcast. Make sure you advocate for yourself. Make sure you educate your, uh, you educate yourself and keep hope, because 
you know, it's not people look at me and they say, you've had pancreatic cancer. You're a survivor of pancreatic cancer. And I tell them, you're looking at them. And if it happened to me, it can happen to other people. So, um, you know, just because you hear the term pancreatic cancer does not mean you're destined to be on death's door. Keep hope. That's your most important, important feeling. So powerful. Thank you uh, for sharing that, Eric. Last thing here, if our audience listening at home, maybe there's someone in South Florida uh, on close to uh, on the East Coast, uh, wants to connect with you. Maybe they've got a, someone in their family that's just been diagnosed locally or maybe even nationally. Where's the best place for our audience to reach out to connect you? Um, well, I have I have a couple of email addresses, one for Lust Garden, one, one for Bandit. <laughs> But, uh, but I'll, I'll give you my personal email address. It's probably the best thing to do, um, you know, for everybody who's maybe not affiliated with either of those organizations. My email address is eborden, that's E-B as in boy, O-R-D-E-N, and the number 12 at gmail.com. So it's eborden12 at gmail.com. Or you could feel, feel free to call me. I usually don't pick up phone calls that I don't recognize the telephone number, but you'll leave me a voicemail and let me know where to get back in touch with you. And I'll do that post haste. Um, my, my phone number is area code 609-405-0771. So don't forget, if I don't answer, just please feel free to leave me a voicemail and I'll get back to ASAP. Identify yourself as somebody who needs uh, information about pancreatic cancer, please. Awesome. Eric, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your journey with pancreatic cancer. Thank you, Dino, very much. And to all people out there who have had pancreatic cancer affect their lives in one way or another, uh, my hearts are, are with you. And, uh, you know, we, we just pray for good outcomes. Hang in there. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today or what you've watched on YouTube, feel free to follow us, share this episode, and until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Mm-hmm.